and welcome to What the Kids Said Today, the parenting show that is more than a show. It's the village that you've been searching for. I'm Kendra Wise, and I cannot wait to dive into the deep end of all things parenting with you as we build our village together. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're talking about how my husband and I went from definitely without a single doubt in our minds, wanting just one baby to having our second. Even before we had Micah, before we were even ready to start thinking about trying to conceive when we had Micah, we had already had our baby girl's name picked out. So when we did have Micah, when we found out we were pregnant with him, I was excited to have a girl. And we already had her name and everything. So I was a a little surprised once we realized that was not what was happening and we were having a boy. Um, We had kind of come up with her name just on the fly accidentally. We hadn't even really talked about kids much at that point. We weren't married yet or anything. It was pretty early on in our relationship, actually. But we used to go to Acadia National Park a lot when we lived in Maine. And when we would go, we had to drive through, or at least drive past, um, a town called Aurora, and we always noticed the sign for it. And one time we were driving to Acadia and we saw the sign and just happened that as we were driving, we were also listening to a song called Aurora. Well, I don't remember if the name was Aurora, but the name Aurora was at least in the song. So we both were just like, wow, (laughs) really like that name. And so we decided right then that if we ever had a baby girl, her name would be Aurora. But we had also decided one baby, that's it. We're not doing any more than that. (laughs) So when we got pregnant the first time, I was sure we would have a baby girl. But as it turned out, I actually actually knew pretty early on that that wasn't happening when I was pregnant. Even before we officially knew, I knew we were having a boy because I kept having these dreams where I was holding a little baby boy and feeding him and, you know, the people we knew were around and all this, so... And then it turned out it was true. We were having a boy. So like, okay, I guess we have to figure out a boy name now, which didn't come as easily as Aurora's name did. I don't don't think anything could have come as naturally as that. So then, okay, so we had Micah. That was great. Yay, one baby. Happy with that. Until... Micah was probably about two years old at the time. 
And I started having this dream, like recurring dream. I had it often. And I didn't tell my husband about it for a while because I was like, I didn't see the point at first, I guess. And we had said one baby. So there there was really no reason to. But I kept having it. And it was just, all I remember of the dream was this this little girl. She's supposed to be a baby, but she was older at the same time somehow. Dreams can be really weird. But, so she was, it was just like an image of her. I just remember seeing her. That's all I remember from the dream. But like somehow I felt like she was, it was supposed to be like a newborn or at least seeing her. She kind of looked super young, but she was at the stage where she was sitting up on her own. But there was something weird about the way she was sitting or something. And her face looked much, much older. Like, she looked a lot like my husband's abuela. And there was just something different about her. She, like, she looked foreign. Which, to me, I was like, well, maybe that's because she looks like his abuela and she's Puerto Rican. Um, But there was just something else about it that I just couldn't quite grasp. So... Eventually, I told my husband about this dream. And before I told him, I was like, okay, I just want to tell you about this dream, but I'm not saying we should have another baby. Like, I'm still on board with that, the plan, one baby. But I have to tell you about this dream. And so I told him. And again, I was like, but I'm not saying we should have more. And he was like, why not? And it's like, well, I don't know. We've never wanted that. And so we talked and everything and we decided we would have another. And it just kind of felt like, it sounds a little, ooh, but (laughs) you know, it felt kind of meant to be like we were supposed to have her. And so we did. And pregnancy with her was rough, at least compared to Micah. Like I had morning sickness and some food aversions. Like I could not be around guacamole, which was sad because I love guacamole. But it always, when I was pregnant with her, it always smelled rotten and just made me nauseous just to smell it. Um. And then I also, I got like really bad varicose veins in one leg and I just was uncomfortable a lot more than I was with Micah. And I didn't exercise like I did, which maybe was part of the problem of why I didn't feel as good. I mean, I still walked quite a bit, but I wasn't doing like the interval training and I just still definitely wasn't running. That's still, I tried a little with her too, I think, but it just felt really weird. I don't know why. Um, so yeah. And then everything went well though with the pregnancy, other than just being uncomfortable. And then 
my husband's mom and her husband flew out from Puerto Rico to be with us during like when she was born and everything and meet her and help out. But apparently she had other plans because (laughs) she was late. They stayed late. I think it was about a week after her due date. They finally were like, we we have to go home. <laughs> so they left, and a, an hour later, I went into labor. They were probably still at the airport. <laughs> but luckily, we had my sister, Alicia. She was planning to come up to help um, to watch Micah when I went into labor. So... Once I knew that I was really in labor and it wasn't like just those practice contractions, uh, Braxton Hicks or anything like that, I called my sister and was like, hey, I'm in labor. Um, When can you get here? No, not really feeling rushed at all or anything, even though she lived like three hours away from us. (laughs) But with Micah, you know, labor took forever so I was like yeah it's probably going to be pretty long even though it'll probably be faster I don't think we have to rush so she said you know I'm gonna just feed my family dinner and get Grace into bed and all that and then I'll I'll head up so she did that and she got (laughs) to our house I think it was It was after midnight, and at that point, Micah and Will were both sleeping in Micah's room, and I was just, like, pacing around, trying to rest here and there, but I wasn't really comfortable laying down at that point. But the contractions weren't too bad, but they were pretty close together. And my sister was like, I think you should should go to the hospital now. And I was like, uh, I don't think so. I don't want to go too early. Last time I ended up there for 12 hours before I was even ready to push. And I, I want to limit my time at the hospital as much as possible. But eventually she was able to convince me that I should go, which was really, really good because we took about half an hour at least to get to the hospital and got there and the nurse uh, you know she had me change and she checked me and (laughs) um, she's like oh I don't think I don't feel a cervix and in my head I'm like what of course I have a cervix what are you talking about not realizing what that really meant and she said yep you're 10 centimeters dilated I was like, oh, wow, okay. So she finishes up, and I get out of the bed. And I'm like, so can I, like, walk around the floor and everything now? And she was like, no, you, you need to get back in bed. You're going to push. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't feel like I need to push at all. Like, um, I'm not ready for that. There's no, like, I don't feel any different now than I did. But 
I got back in the bed and she was getting the stuff ready to like put an IV in and all that. And I was like, oh, I'm ready. I need to push now. And she was like, no, the doctor's not here yet. Don't push yet. I was like, well, I don't know that I can uh, just not when this next contraction comes. And, and I'm trying really hard not to push. But if you've ever been in that situation where, you know, you're ready, you're very ready to push and you're not supposed to, then you know how this feels. Like, you you almost like you just can't help it. It's like your body just does it. So she comes over and helps until the doctor gets there. And another nurse comes and is trying to put the IV in while I'm pushing. So she has to like wait a second because I don't know. But she gets it in, in between contractions. She gets it in. And so the doctor comes in and she's like, oh, you couldn't wait for me. <laughs> like, no, sorry. <laughs> and everything's going well, or at least I thought so. All of a sudden the doctor says very calmly, they all stay very calm. They, they do such a nice job. But she tells the nurse, oh, go get the vacuum, bring it in. And she must have just seen the look on my face because she looked at me and said, it's just in case um, the oxygen levels dropped and we might have to get her out quick. They put oxygen on me. And thankfully I was able to give a couple good pushes and she was out and they didn't have to use the vacuum. I was terrified of that. I heard her say that and I was like, oh, hell no, <laughs> we're not doing that. I've heard too many horror stories and nope, we're not doing it. So luckily she came out. She was out so fast. I mean, even though they almost had to use the vacuum, it wasn't like she was there a long time at all because from when I started to push to when she was out, there was like maybe three or four contractions. It wasn't long at all. So she gives her to me and I, you know, do the uh, skin to skin and I just nurse her right away. And she's a champion. She goes right for it and just has no problem. Like I don't have to do anything except hold her. And I was so relieved that she could do it. And I was just so happy because if you listen to the last episode, you know that Micah was a completely different story when it came to breastfeeding. So I was thrilled. And so she finished stitching me before I even like realized she was doing it. I think I got two stitches. Um, and then they took her, cleaned her up and all that and gave her back to me. And shortly after, I tried to nurse her again, and she wouldn't do it. But it wasn't like when Micah wouldn't do it, and he just left his mouth open and wouldn't move his mouth or anything. She clamped her mouth shut. She wouldn't take anything. So at first I thought, okay, well, she's not hungry. That's fine. And she just, you know, was born. She, it's an adjustment. Um, so I didn't really think too much of it. 
But then that continued. Every so often I would try to feed her, even though she never, ever cried. She never fussed to be fed or anything. So I would just keep track of the time and make sure I tried to feed her every so often. And she wouldn't do it. And I I really didn't want to jump to the bottle or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but she had nursed so well when she first came out. So I was like, I know she can. There's So there shouldn't be any reason she should need a bottle. So I held off and... Um, Eventually, they sent in the lactation consultant. I don't remember when that was, but I think she came in at some point during that first day. I mean, she was born at like, I don't know, a little before two in the morning or something like that. So it wasn't until later in the day that they sent the lactation consultant in. Uh, but, you know, she she tried to help me hold her in different ways and to try to help her know what to do and all that but it didn't do anything and then the next day she came back to try to help again and we were supposed to go home that day I think because everything was great for both of us other than her eating so the lactation consultant helped well attempted to help she tried really hard to help she did all the things that you know they they know how to do she tried um the glucose drops she tried uh i think we even tried um what do you call those little plastic things like a shield um <clears throat> thinking that maybe she just couldn't get a good latch or something i don't remember why she did that an event and i was pumping um during this time i think i think i can't remember it's such a blur i must have though because she she gave her milk or attempted to give her milk through a syringe so she would just you know get the milk in it and then she'd put the syringe at the back of her mouth and squirt it in and she would swallow it some but then she'd spit it out spit it out so we gave her a break and and all this whole time you know it's the next day and she still hasn't once cried for out of hunger or at all really she just she hasn't cried she's very quiet baby so eventually the lactation consultant got a feeding tube and put that down her throat, which was hard to watch. Um, and she used the syringe to put through the milk through the feeding tube. It went down, of course. <laughs> There's no way for it not to. Then she took the tube out waited a couple minutes and Aurora started vomiting. She didn't really have anything in her to vomit. So that was not a good sign. 
but we were at a loss. The lactation consultant didn't seem to know what else to do. So she left, and then later that day, this is like, I don't know, around 5 o'clock or probably later even, my husband took Micah home. So it was just me there. And, like, just after they left, they took Aurora to the nursery for some routine something or other. I don't even know. And before they left, the nurse asked me if Aurora had pooped yet. And I told them, I'm like, I haven't changed any poopy diapers, but I don't remember. It was either my husband or the nurse that said they had changed a poopy diaper. But I didn't see it, so I couldn't really give her a lot of information about, like, if it was a lot. But as far as I knew, it was just the one. So they took her, and then they came back. But it was just the nurse and a new doctor that I hadn't met yet. They didn't have Aurora with them. And so the nurse told me that they had taken Aurora to upstairs to the NICU. And that I was ready to be discharged. Or I, I guess ready is not really the right term. They wouldn't have, I guess, discharged me. But I could be discharged and go upstairs with her, or I could stay where I was. So, of course, I was like, no, I'm going upstairs. I need to go see her. So went through that process, which felt like it took forever. But finally, got upstairs, and I get to her room, and she's just in this big plastic box, basically, and she's got all these, I, you know, I, well, not all these IVs, just one IV, <laughs> but also, um, tube down her throat, all the little sticky electrode things to monitor her. She just looks so tiny in there. Um, they got the lights on to keep her warm because it, it, it's hard to wrap them up. You know, like you, you can't swaddle a baby very well with all those things on them. And so the doctor came in and explained why they were concerned because she wasn't eating. Her belly was distended, which means it's really, really big. And she hadn't pooped or not enough anyway. And so they had done an x-ray on her abdomen. And her colon was enlarged, was dilated and had a lot of stool and air in there. And then it was hard to see, at least for me, um, 
on the x-ray at the very, very bottom of her colon, it was extremely narrow. Not just, oh, it's narrow compared to the rest. It's really dilated, but narrow, even for a regular colon, I guess. Um, So they were concerned that she might have something called Hirschsprung's disease. I had never heard of such a thing, which I guess is not a surprise because it is a rare disease. Um, So they had to do a biopsy of her colon, which she would be awake for, um, with no medication or anything. I guess they don't feel it. Um, I think maybe they did give her Tylenol at some point. Afterwards, maybe. I'm not sure. But it wasn't much. Um, And I couldn't go with her. That's not allowed. Although I probably would have passed out if I did anyway. So it's probably for the best. And then we had to wait. It took a few days to get the results back from the biopsy. But eventually it came back and it was positive. Well, I say positive. Yes, she had Hirschsprung's disease, which is not really a test where it's like positive or negative. But it's like when they do the biopsy, they basically they take a little piece of the colon out and look to see if there are ganglion nerve cells present. And there were not in hers, which means however much of the colon is missing those cells, it doesn't move, which is why there was that narrowing in the x-ray. So if your colon doesn't move, you know, it doesn't um, contract and relax, then... Nothing moves through it. That's how your stool goes from one end to the other. And so hers wasn't doing that, which is why she refused to eat, because she didn't have any room, which is why she eventually she started throwing up, which is a clear sign that something was wrong. So, yeah, she has Hirschsprung's disease, so we had to meet with the only pediatric surgeon in the hospital. And she was lovely. Um, Very sweet lady. And she did a great job explaining everything to us and explaining our options, which there weren't a lot. Um, One option was that we let her do an ostomy, which is, you know, um, she'd have a bag. And then wait six months until Aurora was stronger and hopefully healthier and give her bowel some rest. And then do a pull-through surgery, which means cutting out part of her colon and reconnecting it so that she would hopefully have a functioning colon. And the idea was to not need anything else after that. 
or she could refer us to a doctor down in Boston at Boston Children's Hospital who would most likely be able to do the surgery right away, the the pull-through surgery where they remove part of the colon and be able to avoid the bag, which, of course, that's what we wanted because nobody wants to deal with an ostomy on a newborn. So she she did. She referred us. And it took a while before we could go, though. So we had to we had to stay in Maine at that hospital. And we stayed there. We didn't get to go home. She wasn't well enough for us to go home. So we stayed, and I am so grateful for all the nurses that we had there, two in particular that we remember because they, they were with us every day that we were there. And we were there for... I think two weeks before we went to Boston. And one nurse, Nurse Mary, she was such such a big help to us. She taught me how to hold Aurora with all that stuff attached to her. She would help me get as comfortable as I could, given that I you know, had just given birth and, you know, the seats in the hospital, <laughs> they're not comfortable. So, because at first I, I wasn't picking her up or anything because I didn't know I could. You know, you see this tiny baby in there and the, the thing's closed and she's got all these things attached to her. So... She helped me out and would have me sit and she'd bring her to me. Eventually, I was able to do it on my own without feeling like I was going to rip something off or like mess something up or hurt her somehow. And um, she she helped me. Just emotionally, too, with you know, with the guilt, because I wanted to stay with her every second as much as I could. But at the same time, I also had Micah at home, and I needed to be with him too. But I couldn't be with both of them at the same time. Not all the time, anyway. Micah did come to the hospital every day. But he was not even quite three years old. So it was hard on him. Everything suddenly changed. And he loved his baby sister so much. He was so sweet when he first met her. Oh, yeah, the whole time. <laughs> but when he first met her, like... His little face just lit up and wanted to hold her and snuggle her. and So it was hard for him, too, to see her and not be able to really interact with her or anything. 
So Nurse Mary, she helped me realize that I, it was okay to not be with her the whole time and to not be with Micah the whole time that I, it was okay to go home and try to rest and heal and all that. So my husband and I came up with a plan so that in the morning, every morning we'd get up and go to the hospital and we'd stay until lunchtime. We'd all of us, me, him and Micah, and we'd stay until lunchtime and basically just take turns holding Aurora, talking to her and all that. And then we'd go home and have lunch. And Mike and then Micah would take a nap. And after nap, one of us, either Will or myself, would go back to the hospital. And we took turns. So one day I would go, the next day he would go. Or at least that was the plan. Eventually it ended up being just mostly me because he knew that I was having a hard time not being there on the days that I stayed home. And sometimes we would all go back, just depending on how Micah was doing and everything. So it was a lot to be going back and forth like that. Part of me just wanted to stay there, even if it meant staying the night, but... (laughs) I, I did stay the night, the first few nights, and oh, it was awful. The, there's like, there's a little spot for you to sleep, but I wouldn't call it a bed. It's hard and super uncomfortable. And I had to pump often, and so, which was hard in that room. There just wasn't really a good place to be doing it and you know the nurses and everyone's coming in and out all the time and so we did that for a few weeks and eventually we were life flighted to Boston Children's Hospital well really Aurora was life flighted and nurse Lisa went with her she was amazing she took pictures showing us when she was on the plane and ready to go and updated us throughout and took pictures when she got to the hospital. And because although it was only a one hour flight for them, we had to go home and gather some things together and get Micah ready and drive down there, which was a five hour drive. So Boston traffic sucks (laughs) and I think we got lost a little bit too because we weren't used to Boston (laughs) so we eventually made it there though and she was in her even bigger bed she looked so itty bitty in that bed but I loved it because in Boston, even in the NICU, the beds are like, they're big. It's not like the little tiny NICU incubator type crib in the main hospital. So I could get up there with her and like snuggle with her, which was amazing. 
But the NICU at Boston Children's at that time, anyway, I think it's different now because they were in the process of redoing it, but it was just one room for all the babies. He had little curtain dividers that no one seemed to really use too much. But they were there. So it was really loud in there. And it was a tiny little space. Like there was a space for her bed and her monitors. And there was a chair, one chair next to her bed. So there wasn't a lot of space in there for the three of us to be in there all the time. And, you know, having a toddler in the NICU when it's set up like that is not ideal. But luckily they have um, a playroom that we could take him to as well. And the NICU is really not a good place to be. But luckily she didn't stay there long because I mean, between all the, the noises with the babies crying and the beeping and the nurses and doctors hustling about, it's a lot. And then there was one day the baby right next to Aurora, that poor thing. Oh, um, the baby coded and had to have CPR. That was terrifying. And I, it's not even my baby. So I can't imagine what, how those parents felt. So we were thrilled when she didn't have to be in the NICU anymore, but that wasn't until after her surgery. And she was at Boston Children's for, I want to say a week, but it might have been just a few days before she had the surgery. Um, which, thankfully, it wasn't a super long surgery, a couple hours. And um, her doctor, her surgeon, Dr. Dickey, is amazing. She, you know, she drew on the whiteboard basically what she would be doing, explained everything so well. And, you know, they had my cell phone number so that they could call when she was done. And if there was any problems. So, of course, if that phone rings, you're worried that something went wrong and not that they're done. So it was very stressful. But she did great and came out of surgery. And we had to stay for another week after surgery um, because although the surgery was done and everything, she didn't actually start pooping for a few days. And they had to make sure that things were as they should be and that she started eating because this whole time, she hadn't really been having anything by mouth. Um, she had a pick line that they gave her TPN through, and that was her nutrition for the time. Meanwhile, I was pumping every two hours, building up quite the milk supply. Um, or... Well, I was in Maine, and then we got to Boston, and I was, and then 
I was running out of places to keep it, though. Um, they did have a fridge where we were able to keep some, and then where we were staying, which was just um, inpatient family housing, there was like a little fridge, so we kept some there. But eventually, after surgery, she was able to to have it, so that was really good. And so eventually we got to go home finally. It was such a relief to finally go home and get back to to life. And they gave, they sent us home with the supplies we'd need to do what is called rectal irrigations, which is what they were doing for her up until surgery. So before surgery, you know, she had the tube, um, I think it was called the G-tube, the big clear plastic tube going down into her stomach and pulling everything out. And But then every couple of hours, three to four hours, they also did irrigations, which meant they used a tube that they inserted to her rectum and manually removed the stool. So they sent us home with that stuff to do it just in case. It was more of a precaution than anything because she shouldn't need it anymore because she had the surgery and she was pooping. So we're home for a while, about a week. And, you know, i am got my daycare open again. We're home. Yay. Um, I didn't want to stay closed anymore. It had already been a month. So... As soon as we were home, I was like, okay, we're back. We're open. That was on a Monday. And then Friday, things went bad from bad to worse for Aurora. She woke up that morning fine. I think she ate. And then she didn't really eat much after that. She was very sleepy all day, just wanted to sleep. She, she maybe drank an ounce or two here or there. No fever or anything, though. She wasn't vomiting until the very end of the day. And she did start to vomit. And when I say vomit, I really, I don't mean, you know, a little baby spit up. I mean projectile vomit all over the place. It was disgusting and horrifying. And so we knew that for her, any type of vomiting was bad. Whether it was because of the Hirschsprung's disease or if she had the flu or any stomach bug at all, it was not good. It was dangerous for her to get sick of any kind because when you're sick, your your system just naturally slows down. And for her, that was more dangerous, she was susceptible to something called enterocolitis, which is, it turns out, is what she had. Um, Or at least that's what we were told. Now, in hindsight, we're not so sure that that was really the problem. But anyway, so my husband gets home from work, and I fill him in on what's going on. And so he tries to do an irrigation. Granted, we've never done one of these on her ever and the hospital was always the nurses 
but he'd done them before. He's a nurse himself, so he'd done them, or I think something similar at the very least, but never on a newborn. So he did his best, but it didn't work. Nothing came out. So I called our surgeon in Boston, and she said, you need to go to the ER. I'll call the hospital for you ahead so that they so that they know what's going on, what, you know, her diagnosis is and all of that. So we get there and they try to do an IV which takes forever. Her tiny veins are just really hard to get and it takes several nurses to try to get it and it's a long time a lot of poking it was just awful I'm, my poor husband is like oh, I wish I could just do it because he's a nurse and he does IVs over and over again every single day because he works in the surgery department so there's always IVs so eventually they get it and they do an x-ray of her abdomen and they say that there is a blockage, which at this point we know how bad that is. And so she is life flighted back to Boston Children's Hospital again. Now, they said there's a blockage. And we get to Boston and we're told it's enterocolitis. We're like, okay, glad we came here to figure it out. She gets a ton of antibiotics, gets irrigations galore, and she's there about another week. I'll tell you later, but more about it. But the 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 doctor at in the ER at in Maine was probably correct. There was a blockage. But we don't really learn that till much, much, much later. So we go home again after about a week. But now we're told we need to do irrigations every day, twice a day, which really ended up being three times a day some days. And we're to do that, and she's still on antibiotics. She had IV antibiotics while she was in the hospital and out. She's still on antibiotics when we go home for like another week, I think, because this infection, the enterocolitis, is it's serious and it can be very difficult to get rid of. So we do that, and thankfully, our surgeon, Dr. Dickey in Boston, taught me how to do the irrigations. Like she showed me and had me do it myself while we were still in the hospital to the point of I knew our surgeon's way of doing it better than the nurses there did. And I only say that because I was doing it one day there at the hospital, and one of the nurses tried to correct me and tell me that I was doing it wrong. And 
the doctor, the surgeon, she said, no, this is how she should do it. This is what I taught her. Because I don't know why there's different ways, but some people use what they call a red rubber catheter and they don't pull back on the syringe, which I, I know you guys probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But basically there's one way and then there's a really, really effective way, which is the way our surgeon taught us. And so I'm so thankful for that because I don't think we ever could have gotten enough out of her otherwise to keep her healthy. And we had to continue to do those for the next few years. So I'm just really glad that we knew how to do it appropriately. Otherwise, we would have been in the ER all the time. Well, no, we wouldn't have been in the ER all the time. We would have been, she would have been admitted to the hospital when she wouldn't have been able to stay healthy at home. So I am really grateful that her surgeon took the time to teach me that. So her, her story, her, her sprung journey goes on and on for a while. <laughs> she still has some struggles even today, and she's six years old now. But we are very lucky that she, as bad as it has been for her, it was actually a really mild case when I think about the stories I've heard from other families with babies with Hirschsprung's disease. Um, many of them end up with ostomies, at least for some part of their lives. Some end up with them permanently. Some of them, some of them don't survive. So, because there's a lot of complications that can happen with this disease. So we, we're very, very grateful for the outcome that she has had. And now she, although she has a few struggles still, she is a very happy, healthy six-year-old. And now she has a little brother too. A three-year-old brother now and... How did we end up with three? We only we're wanting one. In the next episode, I will tell you all about how little baby Luca came to be. Thank you so much for listening to what the kids said today podcast. Join the conversation on Facebook in our private group and become a part of the family as we build our village. If you love what you're hearing, I'd so appreciate if you would subscribe, rate, sponsor, and give a review. Until next time.